Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Twisted Britain, a podcast on true crime in Britain with a sprinkle of the weird and the macabre. And your hosts are me, Bob Dale. And me, Ali Downey. And we are here for the first ever double episode of Twisted Britain, which I'm very excited about. So excited I've ended up triple parked with my drinks, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the drinks. I've never seen you happier. I'm honestly, I'm, I'm sitting here going, I haven't researched the podcast this week. Yeah. I've got three drinks. All my technology in front of me is working, which is fucking lovely considering the amount of shite we've just been through. I've got two beers and a whiskey. Someone's going to tell me a story. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> how I feel. That's my inner monologue right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so Ali is going to um, indulge our ears with two episodes on the same topic. It's it's the same trial almost. It is the Pendle Witch Trial 1 and then the Pendle Witch Trial 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, I was going to say Return of the Pendle Witch Trial. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, the Pendle Witch Trial Strikes Back, whichever your preference was. Um, so yeah, we I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. We've not done a back-to-back two-parter before. We, we were discussing last week, I think, after we recorded how we're going to drop this. But I think we'll still drop this fortnightly and we'll just let people consume and absorb as they as wish. As they wish, yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you this, but I know the answer. You, you've enjoyed the research for this one. I, I loved research in this one. I've loved it so much. There will be uh, another episode in the later future uh, on Robert, no, Robert, Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. The Witchfinder General, indeed. Uh, so the Witchfinder General has been mentioned on uh, Twisted Britain once or twice before we... When you do episodes about witches, obviously he he will inevitably come up. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll maybe, maybe look at a Halloween witchfinder. Yeah, it could be a good Halloween special. I'll see if I can find a a, a twisted monster for that. Um, I have so many twisted monsters. Yeah, I've I've got a few in mind. I mean, I might just do Sonny Bean again because I fucking love that story. But. Story. Um, no, I'll not do it again. If you want to hear our Sonny Bean episode, please do go back and have a look at that one. It's been one of my favourite stories, actually, that we've ever recorded. Um, but I have 60-odd episodes out there now, so I have several favourite stories, and uh, I hope this one will become another one. Yeah, the first ever two-parter. 
Uh, whenever you're ready, Al, I will stop nonsensing and you can carry on. Let's, let's kick it off. On the 18th of August in 1612, in Lancaster Castle Courtroom, ten people stand accused of witchcraft. Among them is Elizabeth Davis and her son and daughter. During the trial, her other daughter, nine-year-old Janet Davis, will give testimony that will directly lead to the death by hanging of nine people, including her own entire family. It's a big start. Yeah, it's, it's dark. It's dark, and I've already got questions, but I shall, I shall hold off. I shall hold off for now. Uh, Janet Davis, before this, lived with her mother Elizabeth, older brother and sister James and Allison, and her grandmother in an old rundown cottage in Lancaster known as Malkin Tower, which sounds impressive, but Malkin was 17th century slang for slutty or manky. Manky Tower. Manky Tower. Should have stayed in hotels that should have been called Manky Tower. We, we stayed in a hostel in Budapest that should have been called Manky Tower. Oh, mate, yeah, I mean, the courtyard where we were drinking was sick. But, oh, yeah. Um, toilets were oh, this toilets, a war crime. The toilets were actually a war crime, you're right. <laughs> it was grim. Uh, there were also no adult men uh, in the household. Elizabeth's husband had died a long time ago, uh, so long that Janet was certainly not paternally related to James or Alison. The family were incredibly poor, James, Allison and Janet often resorting to begging to make ends meet. They did have one source of fairly regular income though. Grandmother Davis was well known locally as a cunning woman. Right. Uh, A cunning woman is in the North Country a lot like what a wise woman was up in Scotland. It's a very ambiguous role incorporating doctor, social worker, midwife... Snake oil sell, salesman. Snake oil salesman. Maybe even though the local arbiter of minor disputes uh, for people so poor that they're below the lotus of town, the of society. Town wise woman. Yeah. Um, they very often have a knowledge of witchcraft, but that doesn't necessarily make them witches. So I'm thinking um, like African tribal elder. Yeah, very much so. Very matriarchal. Yeah. Um, but they're not evil. A witch will curse you and make you sick. A wise woman will make you better and provide charms. Okay. She seems nice. She seems nice, but Granny Davis was certainly known as more than just a simple cunning woman. Everyone knew her locally as Old Demdike. Demdike most likely colloquially coming from Demon Woman. Dem. Dyke. Okay. Demon Woman. There were countless rumours about dark rituals surrounding the family, uh, and it actually seems to be the case that these people were genuinely engaged in what they believed to be witchcraft. Right. But the Davises weren't the only local family. Not even the only local witch family. Not far away, the Chattoxes had their homestead. Another group, steeped in rumours of the occult and ruled by another matriarchal, terrifying old granny. Old Chattox. As well as being obvious rivals for the illicit business, the Chattoxes and the Davises had been a fussin' and a feudin' for years. The Davises blamed the Chattoxes for the death of Elizabeth's husband Robert 11 years ago. It seems Robert had been paying oatmeal to the Chattoxes annually. I can't find any record of why, um, but he was regularly paying oatu- uh, regularly paying the Chattoxes oatmeal. The same year he failed to make a payment, he died, and the Devises always believed that old Chattox had cursed him for failure to pay. So we have two families. I was just saying, a lot to digest there before you go on. So we've got a family who's, there's no... Man of the household, they were essentially stepbrother and stepsister. Exactly. Um, and the mother was there, and their gran, granny, 
was yep. the, Old Demdike. Was the, the local town elder, essentially. Yep. And then there was the one who likes to get paid in oats yeah. down the road, and they were just an angry family as well. Yeah. Right. But also well-known locally for being involved in these sort of dark, witchcrafty rituals. Uh, people scared of them? Yes. Right, okay. Definitely. Okay. Right, I'm, I'm catching up, yep. Yep. Sources disagree slightly on the date of the event that would serve as the catalyst for the whole affair. Some say March the 18th, some say March the 21st. It's not important. What is important is that Alison Davis, the oldest daughter, was begging in a lane on the way to Todden Forest, and at some point she passed John Law, a local peddler. She asked the peddler if, she could, if he could spare her some pins, but he turned his nose up and passed the child by, ignoring her. This almost certainly happened to Alison dozens of times. People can be jerks, and charity was rare in the 1600s. And like many times before, once the peddler was out of earshot, she cursed him under her breath. You can imagine homeless people today doing this. I can imagine myself like swearing at the cops below the, the oh, window yeah. in the car, that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> or society's most despised underclass, the charity street canvasser. Uh, the chugger. Yeah, I can vote for that. I spent two whole days employed as a private health insurance street canvasser. <laughs> and if I had had the ability to kill people with the power of my mind, the body count would have been terrifying. <laughs> Their health insurance would have been worth fuck off. Oh, yeah. It was in Govan as well. Uh, um, a, f- a good friend of ours who will remain unnamed, he did it for years and years, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and actually, he made a, a, a decent you know, living out of it, but also was very aware of how much... My- Hunt you have to be yeah, to do it. Anyway. Yeah, but back to the story. Um, like she had done a hundred times before, Alison cursed the stranger. Unlike a hundred times before, this time the man collapsed to the ground, clutching his breast, unable to speak. Oh. Yeah, Alison freaked out, believing she'd genuinely just cursed someone. She ran to a nearby inn for help, and the peddler John Law was carried there and laid in a bed in one of the rooms. Alison knelt by his bedside crying and asking for forgiveness, fully believing she was responsible for cursing this man. The original timeline documentary that put me onto this, uh, because I was researching general witchcraft, uh, and I saw a brilliant timeline documentary on this trial, and I thought to myself, that's great, I wish they'd gone a little bit farther with that. That's great, I wish they'd looked deeper into that. Okay, yeah. And that's what put me onto this originally. So, Uh, sorry to interrupt there, but she... Does she go to the inn with him? Yeah. So, so she's gone, a, a curse on both your houses or whatever under her breath and, yeah. and gone. I hope the, you drop dead. I hope you drop dead. And the guy's dropped. Yeah. And she's certain knickers. Yeah. And gone ro- to get help, brought help back, gone back to the inn with the people in John Law and then then at his bedside crying because. Which says to me, she didn't believe she was capable of that. Uh, she certainly wouldn't have thought that it would work, I don't think, when she did it. Right, yeah. Yeah. The original Timeline documentary also uh, describes very well the condition of John Law, and it quoted legal records from the time. I couldn't get access to those records, but I can quote Timeline quoting those records. Nice. So I quote, His head is drawn awry, his eyes and face deformed, his speech not well to be understood, his arms lame, especially the left side. Now a lot of people, including you, Bob, will probably be thinking that sounds like signs of a stroke. Yeah. I expect you're right. But the horrifically coincidental timing meant that Alison believed that she'd caused it. John Law's son was furious, <laughs> possibly because of a life-changing event which he attributed to witchcraft was having a serious business implications. 
Possibly because his father was now shuffling around the house like Peter Griffin after he had a stroke, berating his son for <laughs> handing his ale to his cursed arm and not his strong arm. Whatever the reason, uh, the local magistrate, Roger Noel, was contacted. Noel was a relatively new breed of zealous, ambitious Protestant official, out to further their own careers by pleasing king and court. And right now, for reasons we'll get to soon, that meant, amongst other things, rooting out witches. On the 30th of March, Noel interviews Alison, James, and Elizabeth Davis. Alison is a terrified 13-year-old girl who already believes she's cursed one poor man. She confesses to everything she's ever done, including supposedly bewitching local children, and adds plenty of claims against the Chattoxes on top of that. Elizabeth and James confess to nothing themselves, but do corroborate... Corroborate? Corroborate... Corroborate, yes. Alison's claims that the Chattoxes killed five men, including Robert Davis, by witchcraft. On April the 2nd, Old Demdike, Old Chattox, and Anne Redfern, who was Chattox's daughter, are interviewed. The expected back and forth of accusations occurs with Old Chattox claiming Demdike had sold her soul to the devil 20 years ago, and Old Demdike replying in kind and adding that Anne Redfern had made clay figures in order to curse people. Noel is at this point pretty happy. What was a case of a young girl cursing a peddler had become a full-blown witch hunt. He promptly imprisoned Granny Demdike, Alison Davis, Old Chattox, and Anne Redfern to await trial for Malthicium. I've oh. no idea how to pronounce that, but it means causing harm through witchcraft. Good, good word. Yeah, M-A-L-E-F-I-C-I-U-M. Malfic- Malficium? Malficium? Like Maleficent, kind of? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Or Malfeasance? Well, Maleficent's the Disney movie about yeah. witchcraft, isn't it? Yeah. It's probably something along those lines. We'll, we'll cut all this out anyway, so. Yeah. He, was, he was very happy. But very soon, he'll be able to do so much more. On the 10th of April, which was Good Friday, and a very important day for a number of reasons, the unimprisoned Devises threw a party at Malkin Tower. No one's quite sure why. Because <laughs> it was manky. Yeah, because it was manky. <laughs> it could have been a meeting of those who believed in witchcraft. Or it could have been a solidarity meeting of those who knew and respected Granny Demdike, who was now in prison. We can't say. What we do know is that James Davis stole a sheep to feed the party. Local police heard about it, and for whatever reason, a number of constables visited the gathering, broke it up, and noted who was there. Roger Knoll, not one to miss an opportunity, held an inquiry on the 27th, ostensibly to work out what was likely to have happened and who was there. But this gives Noel the opportunity to go full beast mode. And, and off the back of the inquiry, eight more people are imprisoned for witchcraft. Elizabeth Davis, Jane Davis, Alice Nutter, Catherine Hewitt, John Bullock, Jane Bullock, Alice Gray, and Jeanette Preston. I mean, it, it might not have taken much for them to do that. No. Because they were all, what we're talking here, 17th century, 1600s, kind of, they were all about the witch hunts. Like, yeah. They were mad keen for locking, well, not just locking people up, but, you know, putting them full trial for witchcraft. And hanging them. And usually, for shit they didn't understand, that was about it, wasn't it? Yeah. That's the kind of gist of, without stealing any thunder here, like, she didn't think, we know, the guy probably had a stroke. Yeah. She shit herself. Something's happened. Everybody else around her went, she did that. And she couldn't prove she didn't. They couldn't prove she did, but... We don't understand it. Which? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I've just had to. I'm, I'm, I'm processing. <laughs> People fear the unknown and what they don't understand. 
Yeah, indeed. And that's how I fear podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> some of these people, like you say, were definitely involved in witchcraft, but some of these people, like Janet Preston, were very unlikely to have actually been at Malkin Tower on the day. Janet Preston lived so far away in Yorkshire that her trial wasn't even held in Lancaster. And some, like Alice Nutter, had only tentative circumstantial links to the gathering and were relatively wealthy landowners who wouldn't normally associate with the likes of the Devises. It seems, with hindsight, like Noel was cleaning house of more than just witches. And we'll get to that soon. Sort of just kind of getting rid of people he didn't like locally. Yeah. Yeah. For now, though, the trial went ahead at Lancaster Castle on the 18th and the 19th of August. And it's one of the best documented witchcraft trials in English history. Thanks to the clerk of the court at the time, Thomas Potts. Potts would go on to write a book detailing this and other trials titled The Wonderful Discovery of Witches in the County of Lancaster. Available on Amazon if you're interested. It's a fascinating account of 17th century witch trials, if a little obviously politically motivated. Potts even dedicates the book to Thomas Nivett, who you may remember is the man who uncovered the Catholic plot to blow up Parliament and arrested Guy Fawkes. We have spoken about, in fact, we mentioned briefly Guy Fawkes last week, but yeah, we've done an episode on the the old bang of Parliament. Yeah, this patronage draws a direct link between Catholicism and witchcraft. Alison Davis was interviewed first and quickly condemned herself through her own misplaced guilt over the peddler. She was said to have expressed nothing but misery and regret for what she believed she'd done. The court asked if she had the power to restore the peddler, but she said she was sorry she didn't. Maybe Granny Demdike could have helped. Unfortunately, though, both Granny Demdike and old Chattox had died in Lancaster Castle's cells in the four months awaiting trial. Damn it. If only they'd gotten through them quicker. Yeah. She could have helped. Is it bad that I'm picturing Granny Weatherwax in my head every time you say it? Not at all. Okay, good. I am. (laughs) In contrast to young, timid Alison, her mother, Elizabeth Davis, loudly protests her innocence. When questioned by Potts, Potts is less than complimentary in his description of her. It seems Elizabeth had a pronounced squint, which Potts describes as a preposterous mark of nature, her left eye standing lower than the other, so strangely deformed that the best of us present did affirm that they had not often seen the like. He also describes her as this odious witch in the minutes of the court before she's, before the verdict's been passed. Right, so, I mean, let's plant a seed here. Yeah. From the beginning, Elizabeth was emphatic in her defence. But when Noel brought out her other daughter, nine-year-old Janet Davis, to give evidence, she became frantic. She started shouting at Janet, who burst into tears, and Elizabeth had to be removed from the court before Janet testified. Once her mother had been removed, Janet wiped the tears hopped onto a table and calmly denounced her mother, brother, sister, and many others as witches. Reading Potts' transcripts of Janet's evidence, I think one of three things is pretty clear. Either Janet was a very well-spoken and erudite nine-year-old in the 1600s, 1600s, which is unlikely given her background and environment, or Potts is rephrasing her testimony for the reader, which isn't too likely either since Potts recorded the minutes for the trial himself. Or, Janet is reciting a pre-prepared statement, possibly scripted with Noel in the intervening four months before the trial, while Janet would have been under the care of the court, which is under the care of Noel. Yeah, no, that's a... Reading through your your options there, 
just just thinking out loud entirely, your nine year old's not gonna go. I'm taking you with me. She's not gonna scream from the rooftops. No. If you're taking if you take me, you take. I'm, you're going down with me. So that 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 removes your first option as far as I'm concerned. Your second option there that he's not gonna doctor his own minutes. I'm not so sure, man. Like he's to gain from it still. True. And and being the official there, what he says goes. Yes. He's not the judge, he's the clerk. But no, what he records is what happened. Sorry. What he records goes into down into history. No what not he doesn't have any sway on the court, but he has sway on what people rem- are yeah. external to the courtroom see about the courtroom. Exactly. Everything we know about the trial comes from Pot. So he's got everything to every every means to twist. Yeah. But does he have a motive to do so? Probably not. Other than the normal... uh, We need to find somebody guilty of witchcraft because we've started this trial. But yeah, no, I think I'm I'm with you that it's, to me, 0 out of 10 first one, 6 out of 10 second one, 9 out of 10 third one. If you say this, you nine-year-old girl who's completely a child and has no idea what's going on around her, if you say this, you'll be okay. Yeah. Okay, tell me what to say. Yeah, that's what I expect to happen. It's a very, it's described as a very cold delivery of evidence as well by a nine-year-old girl. Like a straight down the barrel of the lens type, here's what I have to say. Yeah. Janet would begin, My mother is a witch, and this I know to be true. I have seen her spirit in the likeness of a brown dog, which she called Ball. The dog would ask what she would have him do, and she answered, that she would have him help her to kill. John Robinson of Barley, James Robinson, Henry Mitten. That was a nine-year-old Yorkshire girl there. It didn't sound Yorkshire or, Just t- 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 or girl. Take a moment, take a moment, here it is. <laughs> Never once have we had a nine-year-old Yorkshire girl drinking whiskey in my garden, but here we are. <laughs> that, was, that was stunning. Thanks for that. I'll just wait for the Pendle Trial 2 electric boogaloo. There's an even better reading in that one. (laughs) Janet would go on to describe the meeting at Malkin Tower on Good Friday, telling the court that about 20 people came to the cottage and that her mother said they were all witches. She named and described six or seven other people who she said were there that day, including all the other accused in the stand. She further condemns her brother James by telling the court that he had been a witch for at least three years and that she had seen his spirit kill three people. She also recited charms that she supposedly had overheard her mother and brother use. These charms were listed by Potts, and they, they're a collection of vague occult references mixed with Catholic dogmatic references, which actually read like what you could imagine healing or good luck charms to be. We ditties. Yeah, we ditties. There's a lot of Gabriels and Lucifers. and. Okay. Uh, are we a, a, a ten-note rhyme that makes you feel better? Yeah. Right. Exactly. James Davis also gave evidence against his mother, testifying that three skulls had been removed from the graves at New Church in Pendle, and four teeth kept at Malkin Tower. Not the teeth. Not the teeth. For ritual purposes. A skull and four teeth were presented in evidence as being found at the cottage, as well as a number of clay figures. James may have done this to try to curry favour with the court, but he was already condemned by Janet's evidence, and nothing he said was going to change that. I love this level of fair trial that everyone gets. Oh, yeah. 
The Devises and the Chattox families were both poor, disreputable, and clearly linked to what would have been thought of as witchcraft. But the rest of the accused included some of the most reputable landowners in the area who were all well thought of in their communities, like Alice Nutter. The judge required a little more proof of identification in their cases. He still, however, was quite happy to take the word of a nine-year-old girl, but nonetheless, lineups were arranged which included other prisoners and certain castle servants, and Jeanette picked the correct accused from the lines one after the other, commenting briefly on each one. <coughs> you had the mutton. Set up. You were sitting right by me. <laughs> you had on the prettiest dress. I don't, I don't like this. I don't like Jeanette. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like Jeanette. I'm not happy with it anymore. <laughs> At one point, in a half-hearted attempt at catching her out and maybe casting doubt on her testimony, a judge asked to Janet if she had seen Jonah Style that day, a made-up name. But Janet, not to be caught out, easily replies, no, sir, I never heard of her. Oh, okay. Well, that's... She's not a fool. She's either been coached well... Or she's been coached very well. As a direct result of Janet's testimony, all but one of the accused were found guilty of witchcraft. Only Alice Gray was found innocent. The other nine people would hang for their crimes on Gallows Hill in Lancaster the very next morning, August the 20th, 1612. And this was 17th century hanging. None of the snap the neck of later executions. This was slow death by strangulation. There are documented accounts of family or loved ones coming forward and pulling on the condemned to weigh them down and lessen their suffering and hasten their deaths. That is essentially... Uh, the Pendle Witch, the first Pendle Witch story, but it raises a lot of questions which we're going to talk about and it has far-reaching implications. Uh, I actually meant to send you all the questions five days ago, but no, no, you forgot said, to send me- you all the questions five days ago and sent you them, what, 22 hours ago? Yeah, you sent me them yesterday and that's <laughs> fine. You've seen how much research I do for Twisted Brent, so you're absolutely fine with that. I'll let you pose your questions and I'll I'll give you my immediate answers, but there's no reason, based on the questions you've said, why we can't just talk around a few things here, because I think yeah, some of them are certainly interesting and will lead on to your, your, your second part of, the, of this two-parter, shall we say. Yeah. Um, so far away, I'll do my best. Well, the first thing I want to ask is, is it right to prosecute people who are engaged in what they believed to be witchcraft? What do you think? My, my genuine thoughts on it are... It was fear. Fear was what they were prosecuting. They were very, very scared of what was happening around them. Now, is it right to prosecute somebody that we know isn't true? Because let's, let's, let's boil the facts down here. Witchcraft ain't real in the, in the way that they're talking about. Absolutely not. I have no, absolutely no issue with the, the modern... Um, the modern telling of being a witch and a person believing in paganism and, and Wicca and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I do have an issue with people who that believed that that woman there, she's a witch and she curses folk. Horseshit. Not happening. Do I believe it's right to prosecute them? No. Do I believe that it was right at the time for them to do it based on fear? I can understand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I get that they did it. I don't think it was right. Absolutely. But what if it's not an innocent old woman? Old Demdike and Elizabeth Davis were definitely up to something. They were digging up graves. 
So they were performing rituals which they probably believed would cause injury, harm, or death to another. Now, today, we can convict someone for a conspiracy to commit murder. So why is that different? So why is that different? Is it different? I suppose the, the big difference there is that the committing of the murder is the ending of a life. The committing of a spell doesn't do anything, in my opinion. Yeah. I see it as a, almost a get-out card for the law. These women are up to something. We've no idea what it is, but we want to stop them, but we don't know what they're doing. So, which? Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of that, and I'm not even talking specifically about these oh, yeah, cases here. way more innocent convictions of perfectly innocent people than there are people who are actually suspicious. The Lancashire Wish Trials are unusual in that respect, so but the first one is anyway. I'm going to go out there and say that there's a 100% wrong conviction. Because none of these women were capable of killing somebody by cursing them. No. So if their basis is you're a witch, you can kill people by cursing, you're going to do spells on folk, that's wrong. Digging up graves, not cool. And and, and to be honest, we've, we've talked about this, I've, I've talked about this in the, the, the Burke and Hare episodes. Up until the 1870s, digging up a body wasn't illegal. So what they were doing was societally wrong. I don't know, is that the right word? Societally wrong, morally wrong, but not illegal. So to me, your prosecutor, your judge, your policeman, your whoever it happened to be, was trying to find a reason to put these women to jail, to death, to whatever it happened to be. Oh, yeah. I suppose the interesting question I'm going to put back to you then so you've said, do you, it's okay to prosecute if you believe in witchcraft. I wonder how many of those police officers, judges, prosecutors, being some of the most probably intellectual men of, the, of, the, of their area, of their time, actually believed they were witches. Ooh. Or were using it as a, this is what we can try you on. I expect they were using it as a, this is what we can try you on. Certainly the, the judges... Uh, and, and lawyers probably police officers were probably local men scared yeah local GPs um, but I would imagine that like you and I your judge would have been a skeptic yeah I pose that with no foundation or no knowledge but this is this is my pose to you in return to your question yeah I agree with you and the other problem with uh, you see I think I think it's all, I don't think it's okay I think arguing the conspiracy to commit murder angle gives you the only yeah, so I, angle where they seem ethically right. Um, so what's your... I definitely don't think, for example, that Alison Davis deserved to hang, obviously. No, absolutely none of them did. No, none of them deserved to hang. It's that fantasy version of what a witch is, is what they're being charged on. I made the joke earlier about Granny Weatherwax. They're being charged on the hocus pocus, boiling newt's eyes and all your kind of um, Shakespearean witching. 
you're three up the hill doing your chants and your dances around cauldrons and all that kind of stuff. Hubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Indeed. Cauldron boil and cauldron bubble. Um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that they might have been doing something wrong. But the, the, your argument for conspiracy to commit murder, if I'm tried in the pub when somebody bumps into me, I'll fucking kill them. They say, yeah, I've spilled my pint, I'll kill you. And I get tried for that. I see that on the same level. Hmm. If I sat down and write a list of people I want to kill and make a plan for doing it, that's different. Mm-hmm. So I, your conspiracy to commit murder, I understand your, the, the point of the argument there, but I think it's got a different level to it. On, and to me, that level, this similarity... It is, is a different level. And it's an incredibly minute fraction of witchcraft cases that will actually have involved someone who believed they were in witchcraft and an even in more infinitesimal fraction of those who might have tried to kill someone with witchcraft. But I do think that if someone really believes in witchcraft um, and performs a ceremony or spell which they believe would cause harm or death to another person, they would be, if not physically, at least ethically and morally, as guilty as someone who, for example, planned to poison someone. Can't disagree with you there. Mm. Can't disagree with you. Go doesn't fully go against what I was saying there, but no, it doesn't go against it at all. Belief's a different thing. If if you believe that you are causing harm by doing these things, then you're fully subscribed to the idea. They probably even didn't conceive themselves as witches. They would have conceived themselves as something. Uh, this is my this is mine. It's not okay to prosecute people for witchcraft because it was basically people who didn't understand what the fuck was going on and were really scared. That's my. That's my words on the bind. Yeah. No, I'd agree. I'd absolutely agree. But speaking of prosecuting as witchcraft, why do you reckon in the late 1500s, early 1600s, witches were especially zealously prosecuted? Fear. National fear? No. I don't think national fear. I think there was a huge thing going, like, at the beginning of the 1600s, there's a huge change to the way, the makeup of the UK. There is. You know, you go from uh, James to James. James the... Sixth of Scotland. James the Sixth of Scotland to James the First of everywhere. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, he wishes it was everywhere, but we'll go with the United Kingdom. (laughs) Um, The Union of the Crowns. It was the Union of the Crowns, and it's... um, but because of that shake-up, there wasn't a national feeling of the four-nation structure, I would say, and, and, and I'm speaking off the cuff here, but what I would say that most of these, your Pendle Witch trials, the, the Glasgow burnings uh, that also happened about the same time, yeah. were localised fear-mongering and stamping out, um, I don't know what the word is, uh, not uprisings, because we talked too much about uprisings last week, but stamping out people who had an influence. Yeah, dissidents. Yeah, dissidents is probably the right way to put it. Rebels would be too strong. Dissidents, yeah, be- potential unrest. Because it goes back to what I said, I don't think these women thought they were witches. I don't think they thought they were witches either. I expect they had a knowledge of 
magic. They had a knowledge of what they believed would be thought of as magic. But like I said, witches are evil. They won't have seen themselves as evil. No, they certainly didn't. And I actually don't agree that witches are evil. Well, traditionally witches are evil. A wise woman or a cunning woman uses uh, magic superstitious the occult for good and a witch would use magic superstitious in the occult for evil. Okay, so you're going um, Glinda versus Elphaba type for those of you that are as much of a fan of Wicked and the Wizard of Oz as I am. One's pink, one's green. Yeah. Okay. But I do think that that is a very um, witchfinder general opinion on things. And and it is that, like, she's good because she's helped me. She's bad because she helped my enemy. Yeah. Well, no. It's more... She's good because she would not use her magic to kill someone. She's evil because she would use her magic to kill someone. Yeah, okay. You're absolutely right about uh, James I as well. But England in the 1600s is in the grip of some major sociopolitical changes. Officially and famously, the country had converted from Catholicism to Protestantism about 30 years ago. Church of England, yeah. Yep. But this is by no means an instant or a bloodless change. James I was the first monarch to be raised as a puritanical Protestant. And he was himself very zealous in his prosecution of anything he saw as the devil's work. He even wrote and self-published a treatise on witch hunting called Demonology, also available on Amazon. In it, he describes how to spot witches, how to conduct trials in cases of witchcraft. And it's basically a mandate and manual for Britons to go witch hunting. It's like an Oxford pocket guide to cleansing the land. So, uh, never mind what we've just said there. He was a full-blown believer in witchcraft. 100%. He believed that witches had sunk the ship that he was on when he was returning from his honeymoon. Wow. And he was at a trial in Denmark? Maybe somewhere Scandinavian, uh, where witches confessed to that crime. Well, they've not helped. No. (laughs) He fully believed in witches. Okay. And he was the king. So he was he was big balls at the time. Yeah. It's clear at the start of his reign that he genuinely believed that witches were real and they were trying to kill him. He gained a little bit of scepticism towards the end, not in um, scepticism in the belief in witchcraft, but in scepticism in the belief that everybody that was being burnt and hung was in fact a witch. Witch? Yeah. He's probably indirectly responsible for the increase in less obvious cases in which, of witchcraft as well. Uh, in the case of the Pendle trials, one thing, the, one thing the accused who weren't witches or weren't involved in what we would think of and they would think of as witchcraft all had in common was they were Catholics. Uh. And the only thing James I liked less and distrusted more than witches were Catholics. Yeah. A lot, of dogmatic, a lot of dogmatic Catholic rituals can seem a bit like witchcraft anyway with their long Latin recitations and frequent references to Gabriel and Lucifer. And James I was raised a very strict Presbyterian. Add to that a country in transition and a country in the aftermath of the Catholic gunpowder plot of 1570. And what you get in the late 15th, early 1600s is a wave of pro-Protestant and anti-Catholic feeling. And with it, an escalation of the self-righteous Protestant prosecution 
of Catholics. People knew that the king and by extension the court were right now very keen on prosecuting witches and getting rid of Catholic dissidents. So Noel and his kind sought to please the king and further their own careers by doing just that. Evidence of this, which is directly pertinent to our case, can be found in a fascinating and coincidental court order, the Lancaster's Justices of the Peace. In March of 1612, JPs all over Lancaster received an order from the court in London to compile a list of all those not present at communion on the upcoming Good Friday. This was to be done in order to track and root out Catholic dissidents, since in the eyes of the Crown, and therefore in the eyes of the court, every loyal English person should be in church on that hallowed day. This was the very same Good Friday that would see the fateful gathering at Malkin Tower, and one of the signatories on that order was Roger Knoll. You went, you went through quite a bit there, and I'd like to just take a wee moment to go through back a couple of things. We've said Roger Knoll was not the nicest of men. No. And he's had an influence on a load of things. Are we saying also, with a a caveat that we're not historians, that this is a really early version of secretarianism? Yes, it is. Is is it that Protestant-Catholic hate? Yeah. They're able to prosecute Catholics because there's now a very Presbyterian, very hardline Protestant on the throne. And a lot of these witch trials are people getting rid of Catholic dissidents, political, civil... Powerful Catholics? Or locally seen? Local Catholics, not necessarily powerful families. So does that go back to what we were saying there that that I stumbled across earlier, that it wasn't a national thing? It was very much local. That woman, that woman, that woman. Yeah. They're quite powerful locally. And then in Norwich and then in Swindon and then in Manchester and then in whatever it was, this one, this one, this one. It was a national thing, but it was very locally done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And Roger Knoll had an effect on this trial that we can't even know. He almost certainly had uh, Janet Davis under his care for the four months before the trial. We know that she wasn't kept in the cells. She was kept under the care of the court. Yeah. So I'm going to pose you one of the questions you sent me, just because it follows on quite nicely from there. Because I have an opinion on it, as I have an opinion on most things, Alistair. Um, The child on the stand. Janet Davis, nine years old. Her or anybody, is that okay? No. Pourquoi? Nine's too young. What age isn't? Early teens, maybe. Okay. No, so no. It's a, it's a really tough thing to gauge. It's like saying when it would be different for every person. I mean, Janet Davis was certainly intellectually. She was a smart girl. She was certainly intellectually capable of... She learned exactly what Noel told her to say. She, but she was also she was intellectually <laughs> capable of understanding what she was doing. She knew that she was saying her mother and family were a witch. But I think it's very doubtful that she understood on an emotional level 
the consequences that what of that. she was saying was going to lead to her entire family being hanged. That's a, pers- a very persuasive argument, a very clever tactic by the prosecution. Oh, yeah. Against something that I disagree with should have been in court. In a means that I disagree should have been used to a sentence that I think was wrong. So there you go. There's my three wrongs this evening. Yeah. So we've both got uh, opinions on these questions that you posed to me. And I like the fact that you sent me questions um, in advance. I'm going to do it next week as well. That's fine. Um, Expect some from me. The question will probably be, uh, have I finished? (laughs) Um, But I'm going to put it to you. We've never done this in Twisted Brent before. We've never done something that's always played in my mind. You fancy a live episode sometime? Yeah, I'd be absolutely up for a live episode. And we'll do it from the pub yeah. when we get back. And we'll not have a me tell you a story, you tell me a story in the first one. We'll have, I'll set five questions for you. You set five questions for me. British historical true crime stuff. Anything you want. Literally anything you want. Historical true crime. Um, I'll put a post up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And we'll take the four or five best questions that people pose to us as well. And we'll both answer them. Yeah. And we'll do that live. Absolutely. Right, okay, that's an off-the-cuff thought yep. there before you finish off, but please do, go, go on and finish it. Um, we will, we'll finish up soon. Uh, in the eyes of the judicial system um, as well, though, although a child's testimony will carry a great deal of weight with the jury, um, in the eyes of the judicial system, they're not actually considered as being credible witnesses. Their lack of understanding of the consequences, coupled with the fact that they're children and kids sometimes make stuff up, make them a lot less credible. So, if the courts of law don't think children are credible witnesses, what the hell was a nine-year-old girl doing as a star witness in any trial, let alone a trial where ten people's lives hang in the balance? Emotion. Yes, but there was actually a legal reason she was there. Okay, carry on. It all comes. It all comes back to James the First again. He was a na- he was a union of the crowns, but a nasty wee bastard, wasn't he? Well, yeah. It all comes back to his book Demonology. Remember it? You can get it on Amazon. And I'm also going to tell you to stop saying things, but I, I just Jeff Bezos doesn't even need any more money. He needs all your money. He doesn't need any more money. There are local bookshops, Al. I don't think they stop James the First Demonology. Your local, your local bookshop will get you any book you want. Okay, if you're interested in religious intolerance and cleansing your country, <laughs> get down to your local bookshop and pick up your copy of James the First's Demonology. I mean, when you put it like that, okay, buy it from Jeff Bezos because it makes him look like a cunt then. Oh dear. Anyway, towards the end of James the First's Demonology, he says this, In my opinion, bairns or wives or never so defamed persons may, of our law, serve for sufficient proofs in matters of high treason against God. When he wrote this, he told people like Noel two very important things. First, by referring to witchcraft as high treason against God, it let people pursue and prosecute witches as if they were traitors, which is very important because they have less rights in court and stuff like that. And secondly, and more importantly, James tells us that bairns or wives or never so defamed persons, which means children, women, and liars or drunks, can be used as witnesses in these cases. And that is why Janet Davis was an acceptable witness in the Pendle Witch trial. It's really interesting, isn't it? It is. It's fascinating. But it plays into his hands. Oh, absolutely. And it's technically not legal. 
just because a king wrote it in a book does not make it legal. And the consequences uh, of this we'll get on to in the next Pendle Witch trial. So are we going to leave this then with your thought entirely on this? Were the first series of Pendle Witch trials a miscarriage of justice? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Fine. Um, if you have enjoyed, please do look us up on social media. You'll find us on Facebook uh, at Twisted Britain and uh, the Twisted Britain Discussion Group. Just pop that in your search bar. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter at Twisted Britain. If you have liked what you've listened to, and I, I appreciate that it is a change of pace for Twisted Britain, going back to two of us and not all sorts. But if you have liked what you listen to, please do go on and rate or subscribe or review the podcast. It's always nice to hear that people are enjoying it. Um, if you can't be bothered with the rating, reviewing, subscribing, and you just want to say that was shite or that was good, find us on our socials. You'll be able to do that. Uh, we have a crime con. We have crime con coming up. Ali and I were having a chat about it earlier. Um, crime con UK is massive this year. It's absolutely massive this year because they are managing to go ahead with it, which is an incredible thing to do, considering the world's fucking broken. Um, they're managing to go along uh, ahead with it with a decent capacity and a springboard to it being a bigger and bigger event every year. I'm very, very excited for Twisted Britain to be part of the first year of it. And if you wish to go and you haven't bought your ticket already, please do. The tickets are selling out, but you can still get 10% off by using the code TWISTED. That's T-W-I-S-T-E-D, TWISTED. At the checkout, you'll get 10% off. So I've done the massive sales bit and I've done the bit that I'm contractually obliged to do. Um, Do check us out. Uh, and do what you can and follow us where you can and, and, and how you love to listen. And, and, and basically, thank you very much for listening. Ali and I both enjoy doing these recordings um, and we love the fact that you are listening and hopefully enjoying. And I will leave you with this. Thank you, love you, bye. I can hear myself. Thank you, love you, bye. Thank you, love you, bye. <laughs> Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.